and groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Now, if you say that you understand what I just read to you, you would probably lie about other things. Um, because I, I uh, in trying to prepare this, folks, it is, this, is a, this is a pretty uh, difficult portion of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, what I'm going to try to do is place it in its context, make sure that you know where it fits in that context, and then there's just there's a couple of few things that, that we need to say by terms of, in, in, by way of um, application. You may recall, at least I'd love to think that you do, that last week uh, we introduced in verse 18 the idea of suffering and the Christian approach to the same suffering. That is, we're in the midst of looking at um, several doctrines or truths which Paul tells us that enables him to endure, to manage, to handle, uh, and to face difficulty and suffering. Um, you may remember that, uh, well, let, let me, let me, I'm going to put that up here in just a second, but this is a section of Scripture where Paul is giving you his opus on how the Christian faces suffering. Christianity, gang, does not offer you a ready-made comfort. Um, you, you only enjoy Christianity's comfort as you put into practice the, the process of um, considering. Remember we looked at verse 18, for I consider... Or in other translations, I reckon. The, the point is, folks, that uh, this is not a... Um, um, and, and the only way Christianity's comforts can be available to you is if you enter in this process of thinking through and reckoning or considering the things that you know to be true. Christianity is not a, a, like a drug which acts on you. It's not like some morphine pump that we got in the hospital, which I'm, I'm looking for a used one so that I could, you know, hook up to it from now until glory. But um, it, Christianity doesn't serve like that, folks. It's not, it's not like a drug which um, immediately acts on you. It is a process once you enter into this process of thinking through the things that you know to be true. Um, now, last week... I said to you that argument number one, now folks, here's where we, um, the, 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 the section, this section of Romans is Paul's treatise on the subject of suffering. That is, how can, uh, I don't know how to put this up here, how uh, to endure through suffering. All right, that's, that's the section from um, verse 18 forward. Last week, the first step of that I, I pointed you to in verse 18 is a, is a Christian view of time. Uh, I do not consider the sufferings of this present time. That's in verse 18. Um, and what he does is compare... Um, um, Temporality is the right word, but uh, um, he, he comp compares temporality with uh, eternity. Or, you might say it differently, he compares the finite w uh, with the, uh, the infinite. Uh, 
I do not consider the sufferings of this present time as worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits. That's his first argument. It is, um, he's, he's asking you to compare um, the now with the then. He's asking you to think through the, the finite nature of what you're experiencing now um, versus the infinite. Boy, I didn't do that very good, did I? Infinite. Um, he's asking you to compare the finite with the, the infinite. That's his first argument in terms of dealing and handling and, and wrestling with suffering. It's, it's like what he's asking you to do is, in your mind's eye, think of a, um, a scale, you know, like, they, like, you know, like the Lady of Justice holds, you know. And, and um, over on one of the sides of the scale, you place your suffering. And immediately, that scale tips over there towards the suffering. But then what he's saying is, okay, in, 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 in addition to that, having placed that on the scale, take now the, the, the weight of glory and place it on the other side of the scale. And as you can imagine, it immediately drops to the floor, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's a couple of things there, folks. That is not to say that what was in the first pan is insignificant and really nothing. I mean, you're not really suffering. That's not really any big deal. You know, just ignore it. No, no, no. When that suffering goes into the first pan, the thing tips. It's, there's something to it. It's, it's difficulty. It only, I mean, it's difficult. It only becomes small as it is compared to the weight of glory on the other side of the scales. That's the only way that it becomes small, guys. Oh, that, that is his first argument. Um, he is asking you to compare what it is that you are experiencing now with what awaits you uh, in eternity. That, that is his first argument. And I, I don't in any way want you to hear me minimizing your pain and suffering. Uh, you know, I've had enough of my own. And, you know, I know there's one thing that's true about all of us. When you are in pain, the, the, what you want is less of it. But the, but the, the first step that, we, that, that Paul gives us in verse 18 is to, is to reckon, is to consider, is to weigh, is to, is to compare this with that and this with that. It has to do with a Christian view of time. Um, compare temporal suffering, sufferings with the weight of glory. And, and can I just throw, this is somewhat of an aside, but I, I, don't, I don't want to ever confuse you. The glory that awaits you is not a glory that you earned because you were such faithful people. And you, I, and you are faithful people, and, and you're impressively beautiful people. But the glory that awaits you, didn't, didn't, you didn't get it because you were, were such faithful people. You, you got it because you are an heir of Christ. Now, but having said that, think of... The present sufferings versus the way to glory. Now, gang, that, um, that is the argument of the New Testament. That's the argument of Hebrews chapter 11. I, I want you to see just a little bit of that. Um, if you can keep your finger there and find Hebrews 11. That is the argument that the writer of Hebrews uses as, as well as Paul. You know, I, I, many will suggest that Paul wrote Hebrews. I don't think he did, but I don't know. But um, it's the same argument. I don't know whether it's the same author, but it's the same argument. Um, 
Abraham, a man who suffered greatly, what was his secret? How did he pull it off? How did he face it? How did he handle suffering? Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Do you see that? That's the same, that's the same strategy. He waited. He waited for a city that has foundations because he's discovered that everything else doesn't have a foundation. There's nothing foundational to anything else. He's waiting for the city that has foundations. How, Abraham, did you face all your trial and suffering? I waited. I waited for the city with foundations. Because the one I live in now doesn't have any foundations. I'm comparing the one with no foundations to the one with foundations. Whose, whose builder and maker and architect is God. That's how Abraham did it. How about Moses? How did Moses do it? Look at the uh, same chapter, verse 26. Uh, verse 24. Um, by, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, uh, choosing rather to suffer affliction. That was pretty stupid, wasn't it? I mean, he could have been Pharaoh's uh, son-in-law and, and, uh, or son and just been, you know, rich. And, but he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why? How? What did you, how did you pull it off, Moses? Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. What did, what did Moses do? He compared passing pleasures with eternal reward. That's how he coped, folks. And again, I, I, I hope you can understand, I'm not saying that the difficulties, I mean, you go through difficulties with your kids and your marriages and your jobs and your health, and those are big, hurtful, harmful, keep you up at night, crying, tear-evoking things. Yes, life is hard. I'm not trying to say, ignore it, just keep a stiff upper lip, you know, and buck up. Every cloud has a silver lining. Oh, Really? Not some of the ones that I've been under. They were black all the way through. So, but how does, how does it become less when I compare it, when I set it in comparison to that which is eternal, that which foundation, that has foundations, that which is um, uh, heavenly? That's, that's, the, that's the way the author of the Hebrews does it. That's what Paul is doing to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. <laughs> but then in verse 19. Paul introduces a, a, kind of a new truth, um, but let me, let me say this. Don't forget, this is what he's trying to give you. Paul is trying to give you an argument that would enable you to endure. This is his, the, the first part of the argument. Now we're going to go to the second part of the argument. And, and I want you to know, folks... It's odd. It, it's, a, it's a strange argument that Paul uses here. I'm not saying it's invalid. I'm just saying it's a, you know, if I were, of course, I'm not inspired and I'm not the Apostle Paul, but um, it's just a, of all the things that I think Paul could have used as an argument, he used this, but he used it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so please don't let me devalue it. But um, what he introduces you into, look, look at verse 19. Verse 19, you find the word creation. Verse 20, you find the word creation. Verse 21, you find the word creation. Verse 22, you find the word creation. In verse 19, Paul is introducing you to a new truth. 
it is it is his explanation of the present state of the universe. That is point two in this. Don't forget, I mean, because we're gonna we're about to take off on this tangent to talk about creation in a minute. And and you're you're gonna be tempted to forget that this is a part of this argument. It's 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 here that Paul is trying to develop. It's this he's trying to develop. This is I mean, I can certainly see how this relates to that. It's this one that gets kind of difficult. Well, I'm gonna I hope to do it successfully, but it just it's just an odd it's a rather odd argument, methinks. He's giving you his explanation of the present state of the universe. Creation also is in a state of suffering. And it too earnestly desires and waits for a deliverance for it from its present state of suffering. Gang, the creation is looking forward to something. Um, the, the creation is looking forward to a, to a coming glory. Nature is waiting for something. Let me, let me read you this. This is out of 1 John chapter um, 3, verse 2. Let me tell you what nature is looking forward to. This is 1 John 3, 2. Don't turn. Beloved, now we are children of God... And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's what creation is waiting for. Now, gang, what, what Paul does is that he animates, he personifies, he, uh, uh, he animates creation. He turns it into a, a, a person, in essence, and he's, and he's talking about the creation of all the mountains and the oceans and the grass and the brooks. That creation is in a state of suffering presently, but it is waiting for something. Paul describes creation as eagerly awaiting the glory, uh, the coming glory of the sons of God. Look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, just somewhat as an aside, the Bible often animates creation. For instance, the trees clap their hands, says the psalmist. That is not unusual to to find the Bible doing this. But Paul is doing it. Paul is saying that the creation, he's treating her as a person, all this Rocks and rills and plains and valleys and oceans and, and all that business. He says it is in a state, it is in a present state of suffering. And it eagerly awaits, and notice, the re- revealing of the sons of God. It does not yet appear what you shall be, but when it is, a pre- when it is revealed, creation, Paul says, is waiting for that. Creation is groaning under the weight of its own suffering, and it looks ahead and waits. Now, guys, keep your finger. I want to show you this. In the, uh, I don't think you've probably ever seen this. In the, I, I don't know that Jesus ever does it but once. It's in uh, Matthew 19. If you can find this real quick. Keep Romans 8 open. Matthew 19. 
Um, now, folks, uh, verse, it's, uh, it's verse 28, uh, Matthew 19, 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you see that. Now, folks, normally we think of the term regeneration as applying to the rebirth. It's a different term here. This term is only used twice in the New Testament, right here and then in Titus chapter 3, I think. Um, I don't know whether you're interested in this, but it's the word... Um, I don't know whether this, uh, whether this rings a bell. That's a G. G-E-N-E-S-I-A. In English. Palingenesis. What does Genesis mean? Creation, beginning, start. And this is a, this is a little preposition that means again, or an adverb that means again. Jesus says, look at what he says, folks. This is, this is, I don't know that he says it any place else in his ministry, but he says, at the time, um, I say to you that in the regeneration, in the creation again, when that happens, um, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory. Now, what, I, what I'm simply saying to you guys is creation is looking for something. Creation is in a present state of suffering and it looks forward and longs for something to come. Something that's forthcoming and future. It's the palingenesis. Now, um, because I, I mean, I said that creation is in a state of suffering. Let me show you what, the, what, these, what these verses say. Um, the creation somehow has shared in the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. What are the marks that, that creation bears that the fall has produced? Notice, look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. I don't know whether you've gotten frustration, but, I mean, guys, everybody knows the English word futility, don't you? It's one of the, most, it's one of the darkest words in the English language. The creation was subjected to futility. Um, nature is, is, is not what it ought to be. It has been subjected to futility. You know, as, as, as beautiful and as wonderful as that sunset was that you saw, it was supposed to be better. It was supposed to be far more captivating than what you see in Destin. It's beautiful, yeah, but it was more than that. The intent was more. It, it, creation was subjected to futility. Look at verse 21. Because the creation itself also would be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Some of you have the, the word decay. Creation is going to be delivered from this bondage to decay. Nature has become a killer. Uh, it, is, it's, it's a, it's a, it includes this cycle of death. And then the, the, another evidence of how the fall has affected creation is found in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans. Creation is in pain. Now, the thing that creation is waiting for, 
is that coming glory, that palingenesis, which is the time when the sons of God will be, will be highlighted. The sons of God, when they come into their glory, when it doesn't appear what they are now, but when they, when they finally get to be what they, when they, when they become the showpieces, the whole of creation is waiting for that event. Now, if you understand what I've said thus far, let me try to put a number two up there. Paul is comparing a broken creation and that that broken creation is awaiting a future deliverance from the present suffering that it now experiences. That's what those three verses are saying. And we're going to look a little bit closer. But creation is broken, subject to futility. But it awaits. Look at, look at verse 19. It says, um, uh, for the earnest expectation of the creation. The creation can't wait for its deliverance. So if the present created order is broken and scarred and subject to futility, if the present created order is experiencing its own set and brand of suffering and is then awaiting for this future deliverance, so should you. (laughs) That's his argument. I'm telling you, as I said earlier, it's an odd argument, but he's saying that creation now groans but waits. Waits for this. And so you folks, people, usins, we groan. We too must wait. On that. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's a wonderful argument. It's, it's just one that I, I thought was a surprise, really. It was, um, well, creation, Paul is suggesting, is longing to participate in that event when the sons of God will, will receive unmeasured glory. And at that same time, creation will be delivered from its futility. Why is creation looking forward to that? Because the fate of creation is indissolubly linked with man. Creation fell with man. And if creation knows that glory is coming and it waits, so should we. Um, move to verse 20 with me. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. First, uh, gang, creation subjected to futility. You want, you want evidences of creation subjected to futility? Then go out in your backyard and take a look at the weeds. Take a look at floods. Realize that it was a tree that was used to crucify Christ. Cancer, ladies and gentlemen, 
is an evidence that the, that the creation suffered. Because that stuff was never supposed to be here, folks. Neither floods, nor weeds, nor cancer, nor were any of those trees supposed to be used to crucify the Redeemer. But once sin entered, everything got fouled up. Man's sin has left its mark on creation. Creation is scarred. You know, guys, um, I don't know whether you saw Lord of the Rings. Um, I, I have the trilogy. I was, was my Megan's birth, uh, Christmas present to me was the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and, and I loved it and uh, read the book. Uh, you know, I not only watched the movie, I read the whole three volumes. Um, loved the books. In fact, loved the books more than I loved, liked the movies. It was just... But if, did, you, did you see the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Do you remember one of, the, one of the parts that really kind of, really almost grossed me, not grossed me out, it was like, ew, that's just kind of silly. It was the part where the two, and I forget, Pippin and Mary. Pippin and Mary were rescued... Do you remember by whom? It was a group of trees. Remember Greybeard? And they were up in the trees and they were walking and they lumbered. And, and it was the trees that delivered Mary and Pippin. It was the trees that, I mean, there was these sounds. And they, they were walking through the woods and they would hear this. the groaning of the trees. And, and at once, in fact, in movie number two, in, in book number two, it is the trees that join the, 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 the Christ figure to combat evil. Even trees know. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll, I, I am absolutely, utterly convinced that Tolkien was, was presenting this. By having trees join the fight for righteousness. Knowing that once it arrived, they would be set free from their groaning. Creation is scarred. Creation is winding down. It's breaking down, as you've been told on numerous occasions, is the second law of thermodynamics. Creation is suffering but, but according to verse 20, not because of something it did. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The creation didn't do that to itself. The, 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 the creation is not groaning because of anything that it chose, but because of what man chose. And, and that futility was really, notice in the text, it was imposed by God. It was not a permanent futility, but it was a futility imposed upon creation because of the sin of man. Gang, God can't punish fallen man by putting him in an idyllic creation. And so as a result of the fall of man, not only is man scarred, so is creation. It was intended to be idyllic. But it's not anymore. And then in verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, do you see his argument, guys? He's saying the creation is so scarred, it's broken, it's damaged. 
But it's, it's looking forward to the time when it will be delivered. If creation is doing that, for heaven's sakes, let's us do it too. Creation, look at verse 21, will be delivered. Creation is going to be liberated at the same event that is mentioned in verse 19. The revealing of the sons of God. The negative has already happened to creation. I mean, it continues to happen. You know, folks, we make fun and we call environmentalists tree huggers. And, and of course, they're, they're so animistic and pantheistic, it's not even funny. But if there ought to be any friend of the creation, it ought to be us. We who are horrible to this created order. Horrible. You know, I, I make, I'm, you know, don't take me seriously here, but, you know, I, I, I recycle. And people make fun of me, you know. And, and we have our grace group and we have these suppers in our house and I'm rummaging through the garbage to get. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't get a dime for that. I want you to know that that application is purely because I want to be a friend of the planet. I'm not trying to promote recycling here, folks, but I'm telling you, this we, creation was scarred because of something we did to it, and now the birds are afraid with afraid of us. And, and the scripture says that the time is coming when the lamb is going to lie down next to the lamb. The lion is going to lie down next to the lamb. Is going to lie down next to the lion. At, at, at the palingenesis, the creation. Look, look at that word in verse 21, folks. It will be delivered. Delivered! It's going to be delivered. The negative has already happened to it, but it's, it's now awaiting the positive. But it's, that, that deliverance is not going to come through the process of evolution. Um, you know, things aren't getting better and better. Notice it says it's a bondage to corruption, a bondage to decay. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a reference. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think physicists found it there. But if you wanted a, a definition of the second law of thermodynamics, there it is, verse twenty-one: a bondage of corruption, a bondage to decay. Nature waits because it too will be restored. Creation will be redeemed. Along with the sons of glory. Creation will be free to be itself. Decay and death. Decay and death are not natural, ladies and gentlemen. Decay and death are alien. You know, and and I'll stop here and we'll come back and pick it up at verse 22. Do you remember um, the Lion King um, and I know you've set your, let your kids see that, and I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel bad because you did. Um, I'm simply saying there is a um, there is a song in Lion King. By the way, we somebody gave us Lion King, and it showed up in our bookstore or our library. I don't know which one, and I got telephone calls galore. Get that thing out of there! So I, I had to look at it, and, and I really I kind of liked it myself. But um, um, there is a song in it that's very objectionable. It's called the Circle of Life. You, you remember the Circle of Life? Uh, you know, the, the, I don't know exactly remember the words, but it's something like, you know, the little dog dies and, and the dog 
gets buried in the ground and the dog, um, you know, rots and, you know, and then it feeds all the daffodils and, and then the daffodils um, come up in the spring and then the bees come and, and do whatever it is that they do and, and, and then they produce some honey and, and then the honey goes into feeding all the people. It's just a marvelous circle of life. No, it isn't! It's an alien! Death and decay, ladies and gentlemen, are not natural. They're the products of sin. And so the creation understanding, Paul animates it and he says, the creation understands that it's scarred and it's suffering, but it waits for the palingenesis, the regeneration, that day when the sons of glory will come into their own and they'll be the very showpieces. If nature does that, you ought to do it too. Those are, the two, those are two of the arguments that Paul uses as he gives us his method by which he endures suffering. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that your people will discover the beauty of your word and that I've done nothing to hamper them in so doing and that you'll take what I've done and and make it to be uh, alive and fresh and beautiful and, and thrilling and encouraging and all that it's intended to be. Might the Holy Spirit of God uh, take this very unusual passage and make it um, a great source of joy for your people. We um, long for that, and we, as your people, as hard as this is to do, Lord, in the midst of our pain and suffering, we want to become better waiters until that day when it will be revealed what it is that we are to become. Most of us in this room long for that day. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.